The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. And we're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. We're going to start off with a trigger warning. This week's story is not going to be for everybody. This week's story involves the sexual assault and murder of a very young child. So if that's something you can't handle, we totally understand if you need to skip this episode. Yep. And, you know, we all know how I get with these stories. So, you know, I, we just want to give you guys a warning on this one. This is one that Gina has had to tell me about to prepare for. So. Well, and it's actually one of those stories that I probably wouldn't have even covered, except for it highlights some really important issues with our criminal justice system. So without further ado, this is the story of a parent's worst nightmare, the murder of Riley Fox. Police and neighbors in Wilmington, Illinois, were beyond disturbed when a father called 911 and reported his three-year-old daughter missing. Wilmington is a small town. It's kind of up towards Chicago. It's in northern Illinois. It was uncommon for things like this to happen. I mean, people left their doors unlocked like we do here in our little town. You know, like it just, it wasn't the kind of community where you feared things bad happening to you. In fact, Kevin and Melissa's back door had not been locked in years and the lock was actually broken yeah i mean i as living for in a small town how many times have we locked our doors and i mean how many times have we personally locked our doors i I, don't i don't i usually lock them nobody else in this house does i don't lock the doors i know you don't i'm afraid if i lock them now the kids won't even know how to get back in because they probably lost their keys oh i I guarantee there's keys floating around (laughs) (laughs) um so That all kind of changed for Wilmington, though, in June of 2004, when Kevin reported his three-year-old daughter, Riley Fox, missing. Kevin and Melissa met in high school. They actually attended prom together, and they were high school sweethearts. I think that's so cute. As young adults, they welcomed their first child together, a son that they named Tyler. And then soon after that, they got married. Later on, they welcomed daughter Riley, On March 31st, 2001, she was just a beautiful, sweet little girl. And I'm showing Chris a picture. I mean, she's just a little baby. She's just adorable. Um, And the picture I'm showing you was actually about a week before she was killed when she was in her uncle's wedding. Riley was just this little three-year-old ball of energy and the apple of her father's eye. And a lot of people said she was such a daddy's girl, like she was always on Kevin's shoulders and like he he adored his daughter and was by all accounts just a loving dad. In the spring of 2004, Riley served as the flower girl in her uncle's wedding and the pictures taken that day will forever be something special because those were the last pictures taken of her and her family before she was killed. That's just, ugh, my stomach already hurts. I'm already starting to kind of tear up. Like, I know. I know. You know I don't like these stories at all. Kevin and his brother-in-law went to a concert on Saturday, June 5th, 2004. Melissa was in Chicago with some friends doing the breast cancer walk. In fact, Kevin had planned to meet Melissa in Chicago on Sunday, which was the second day of the race. And him and the kids had like made some signs to hold up to, you know, like, yay, mommy, you did it when she crossed the finish line. So that was their plan. But Saturday night, he was going to a concert with his brother-in-law. When he got back to town, he, it was late, but he really wanted to go get his kids. He insisted on going and getting the kids and not leaving them at their grandparents' house for the night. You know, that was a possibility, but he's like, no, I'll go get them. We got to get up early tomorrow, go to Chicago and cheer mom on. So 
he picks up Riley and Tyler. And when he gets home, you know, it's like the wee hours, like it's late at night. So he just lays the kids down on the couch and covers them up instead of like putting them in their beds and stuff because they're like yeah. zonked. Yeah. And I mean, how many adults have not done that with adults that have children haven't done that? Right. I mean, when the kids asleep, the kids asleep. You don't. Hell, I remember like my kids sleeping in car seat or like, you know, the car seats. Yeah. So the next morning, Kevin woke up when his son, Tyler, who was seven, was standing by his bed. And Tyler said that he couldn't find Riley. Kevin searched the house and he found no sign of his three-year-old. You know, three-year-olds hide. They do silly things. So he looks all over. He looks, you know, around the house and the neighborhood. He can't find her. So he calls 911. Around that same time, Melissa called him just to check in, and she could instantly tell by the sound of Kevin's voice something was wrong. And he said to her, Riley's gone. And she described on ABC's 2020, like, her heart just fell into her gut. And, you know, it was just like the worst moment ever. And so she leaves the walk and rushes back to Wilmington to help search for their baby girl. Yeah, I can't imagine like getting that kind of news, especially like the way he worded it as Riley's gone. Right. Like, damn. Yeah. On Sunday, June 6th, a large search party spread out across the area to look for Riley. Meanwhile, police were looking for clues in the Fox home. There were no signs of forced entry. Nothing was missing. But they did note that the back door, the lock was broken. But, you know, Kevin said that's been broken for a long time. But they kept saying, like, I don't think anybody came in this house because there's no forced entry. And Kevin kept telling them, well, there wouldn't have had to have been. They could have just walked in the door. Right. Um, so that seemed to kind of be like the first sign that the parents and the police were not quite seeing eye to eye. Kevin explained that it had been broken for quite some time. And before that day was over, they unfortunately found Riley. Three-year-old Riley Fox was found face down in a creek in the nearby Forsyth, Forsyth Woods. She was immediately pronounced dead. I cannot even imagine. You know, a baby. A baby. Ugh, makes me sick. On the same day, in the same block as the family's home, police responded to a burglary. The burglary took place at the house right across the street from the Fox's house. A red Beretta was reported to be driving around the neighborhood early Sunday morning. But... When the police held their press conference, they told the media that there was no connection between the murder of Riley Fox and the burglaries or the Red Beretta. How fucking dumb are you? Like, hmm, let's see. There's a break-in at one house and a child taken at another, but no connection at all. And it's on the same fucking day. That's what they told the media. At the scene of the crime, meaning down by the creek, Police found two white sneakers in the creek. They matched the footprints found on the bank of the creek where Riley was most likely put into the creek. Inside the tongue of one of the shoes, they noted three letters. E-B-Y, written in with a sharpie. The shoes were put in evidence, but they weren't really sure what they had to do with the crime yet. Right. I mean, other than they match footprints. Right. That should be a clue. But Well, I mean, at the, at this point, you don't know if the footprints are there beforehand, there afterhand. I mean, I not afterhand. You know what I'm saying? But there I is guess. no there is that's no real pretty, connection right there. That's pretty like I know something it's, you want to follow up on for sure. Well, yeah, I'm definitely following up on it. But I can see where the cops are like. Oh, are these just, was it somebody that was here before and they took the shoes off and now, the you know, she was murdered and put on top of the footprints? Or is it because the murderer was walking around with these shoes? 
Right. You know, like there's at I mean, that, at they that point did collect them and they put them in evidence. Bravo. The autopsy found that Riley Fox died of drowning, meaning she was alive when she went into the creek. If that just doesn't make it ten times worse in a, yeah. some way. Yeah, she, it does. She had duct tape over her mouth and she was bound with duct tape. So there was no chance she could have fought back. You bound a three-year-old. Yeah. And there, there, I mean, she had no chance. Once she went in that water, even if, you know, sometimes three-year-olds can swim. Even if she could have, she had no chance. Had no chance in hell. She was bound. The little girl had non-threat, non-life-threatening head wounds, indicating that she had at least been hit at least once. And she was sexually assaulted. Puke. That is what I'm thinking about right now. I told you this was going to be a hard one. I know you did, but that like, it still sucks hearing the details of everything. Well, especially when you look at that picture and you're like, oh, beautiful little baby. Once again, like, I don't care who did this. There's a special place in hell for him. Definitely. DNA and other forensic evidence were collected and they were sent to the FBI crime lab at Quantico. Meanwhile, police had already identified their prime suspect. Let me guess, the dad. Kevin Fox, Riley's father. They asked family and friends if Kevin could have possibly been involved, but everybody who knew Kevin was like, yeah, no, there's no way. This man loves his kids. There is no way in hell he did this. No way. The investigators decided they needed to interview the only other person besides Kevin and Riley that was home that night, and that'd be seven-year-old Tyler. Oh, my God. So Tyler was sleeping in the same room as Riley, and he was the first person to notice she was missing. So I understand why they wanted to interview him. Right. Get it. But it's a seven-year-old that we're interviewing at this point. And it was grossly mishandled. When I tell you grossly mishandled, I mean, this is going to piss you off. The interview of Tyler Fox took place at a child advocacy center by a specialist in interviewing children, or at least it's supposed to be a specialist. I don't know how special she is, except for I think she's an asshole. She asked him if his father took Riley out of the house. She didn't ask him once. She didn't ask him twice. She didn't ask him five times. She didn't ask him 10 times. She asked him the same question 168 times. So basically all she was asking is, did your father take Riley out of the house? That's the only question. And that's. Yeah. I mean, she would change the wording up a little bit, but yeah, that was basically, she just kept saying it. And then he got to where he's hysterically crying. He's given the same answer every time. I didn't see dad take Riley out of the house. I don't think dad took Riley out of the house. I didn't see dad take Riley. Like he, he is, and he just starts bawling. He's hysterical. He's been in there for over an hour and she's just pushing him, pushing him. And then when he's saying, I didn't see dad do this, she's acting disappointed in him. And you know how seven-year-olds like to please. Like yeah. if she's a specialist at interviewing children, she needs to be fired. Is there a video of this at all? So on ABC 2020, there's some snippets. I don't think it's the whole video. Um, So you could probably find at least snippets on YouTube. But like this kid is like hysterical. And instead of stopping, she just keeps pushing him. Well, and that's like. So and I don't get this at that point because. Yeah, that she was he was interviewed by a child advocacy person. But wouldn't there still need to be a lawyer present? Well, it certainly wasn't an advocate. I mean, like, I mean, granted, her actions don't seem like an advocate at all at this point. I but mean, I think as far I, as a lawyer, that would be up to his parents, Melissa and Kevin, who agreed to the interview because they didn't feel like they had anything to hide. But they didn't know what was happening. They were not in the room. Once they like learned of this whole thing, of course, they were furious. Yeah. And this kid was traumatized. Like, it's awful. I've seen the snippets of it on 2020, and he's just hysterical. And finally, she's just like, I mean, just very disappointed in him and ends the interview after asking him the same 
fucking question. So there was no other questions or like real conversation besides that. No. That's fucked up. Like, damn. And then like on top of this, like the kid just lost his sister. Right. Fuck you. You know, and that doesn't even mean necessarily that Kevin wasn't involved. But if Kevin was involved, Tyler didn't know anything about it. Period. You asked a seven-year-old the same question 168 times. You made him cry hysterically. He was animate about him not knowing. And he still gave you the same damn answer. And and she acted like she didn't believe him. So months go by, and the investigation just kind of drags on. And police find this very grainy surveillance tape at a local convenience store, and it shows a car driving past that looks... Was it a red Beretta? No, this car looks similar to Kevin Fox's, not identical, similar. So it was headed towards the Forsyth Wood areas early in the morning. They decide this September, so this happened in June, it's now September, they call Kevin and Melissa and they tell them that there's been some new developments. So they rush on over, they're thinking that, you know, maybe something finally happened. And when they get there, they separate the two and proceed to interrogate both of them. And the room Kevin was in was designed to facilitate recording. But guess what? They did not record. They turned the cameras off for the entire interrogation. There's no record. No record of his interrogation at all. No, because even though they had equipment to record, they turned it off. So, it once again, it's their word against his. Yeah. According to Kevin, they accused him of sexually assaulting and murdering his daughter. He adamantly denied these allegations over and over. He said that the police threatened him. They berated him. They gave him a polygraph test, which he agreed to. And according to the police, he failed the polygraph, but they, they, didn't, they didn't record that either. And they couldn't produce the results nope. of it. Um, they continued to yell at him and they kept telling him that he killed Riley. They even at some point bring Melissa into the room and they tell her, your husband killed Riley. And they kind of try to get her to put pressure on him. And Melissa's like, No, there's no way he, like, this is crazy. There is no way he hurt her. I know him. So at this point, they're frustrated. They were hoping they could get Melissa to kind of turn on him and convince him to confess. So when Melissa defends her husband, they separate them again. And the police berate her. And they're like, you know, how does it feel to be married to a baby killer, to a child molester? And you're a horrible mother. You're sticking by this person that hurt your daughter. Like, they were terrible to her. At this point, I'm getting being like, okay, I'm pleading the fifth. And you guys can suck my dick until I get a lawyer present. Yeah. So after 14 hours... Of interrogation, police suggest to Kevin that maybe it was an accident. Maybe Riley accidentally hit her head and he had to cover it up. So he said at this point he had been in this room sleep deprived. He had been interrogated for 14 hours. He had been threatened. He had been berated. He had been called all these terrible names. He was broken down mentally, physically, and emotionally. And he said there was just, there was no way out. So he confessed and he said that he accidentally hit Riley in the head with the bathroom doorknob, panicked and took her to the creek as police had suggested. God, like, and of course this is all coerced. Oh yeah. Police announced that Kevin Fox had confessed and he was arrested and charged with the first degree murder of Riley Fox. Kevin immediately recanted the confession and insisted it was a coerced confession. Will County State's Attorney Jeff Tomzak was up for re-election, and he was going against a fierce component, James Glasgow. Now, we've talked about these two before. We have. Because there's been a couple other cases that 
they said, you know, when this election came up, the Drew Peterson case and the Christopher Vaughn case, and they were really trying to make these, you know, these cases so that they could get reelected. And I guess instead of really investigating Kathleen Savio's murder that happened a few months after Riley's, they decided to focus in on Kevin Fox for killing Riley. And so the state's attorney at the time, Jeff Tom Zach, he decided that he was going to go at this hard and make sure he got a win so that he thought that that would make him, you know, reelected. Well, just weeks before the trial, James Glasgow defeated him and became the new state's attorney. Meanwhile, Kevin Fox was still in jail awaiting trial, and the state was seeking the death penalty against him. Kevin was concerned about survival, as other inmates knew he was in jail awaiting trial for child sexual abuse and murder. And you all know what happens to child abusers in prison. Yeah, they don't have the best lives. So, I mean, he was... Like, isolated, he felt helpless, but his family secured a high-profile attorney. This is one you'll probably know, too. Kathleen Zellner. She is the attorney currently representing Stephen Avery from making a murderer. She's a very okay. high-profile defense attorney. Yeah. Um, she is known for helping clients who are wrongfully convicted to be exonerated. Okay, and I'm just going to go on the record and say I'm not saying Stephen Avery's not guilty, but we're not going to talk about that right now. That's a story for a different day. Zellner learned that the DNA from Riley's rape kit had been sent to the E or to the FBI. But guess what? It had never been tested ever. The FBI told the new state's attorney, James Glasgow. That Will County investigators called the FBI and told them to stop testing the samples after Kevin Fox was arrested. Oh, bullshit. That is some horse shit. They got their coerced confession and they couldn't have something like evidence getting in the way of that. Yeah. The DNA test results were then performed at James Glasgow's insistence, and they revealed that Kevin Fox was not responsible for the sexual assault and murder of his daughter. Who would have thunk it? Right? Who would have thought that maybe a coerced confession won't stand up? Do you see why I had to cover this case now? Yeah, you did it more for me, I think. I mean, it's a terrible case, but... It highlights some really important issues. So now exonerated, the, the charges were dropped and Kevin Fox left jail. Melissa had never wavered in her support of her husband and believing in his innocence, even though a lot of people gave her a lot of criticism for sticking by him. If everybody thought that he was the person he was and loved the kids the way he did, like I would be, I'd feel a little sad if she would have jumped ship. Right. Well, I think people in the community, you know, that maybe didn't even know him, but were like in the community and were told, oh, he confessed. They're like, how the hell can you support somebody who confessed to killing your daughter? Right. But you also weren't pretty much tortured for 14 hours. Right. So when investigating the coerced confession... Zellner learned that Kevin had been called a baby killer. The police threatened to rape him in prison or to have him raped in prison. And they promised him leniency if he confessed to the accidental death theory. You just can't do that shit. Yeah. Some kind of leniency when you're getting the death penalty. Um, you know, and a lot of people say, like, how would somebody confess or why would somebody confess to a crime they didn't commit? And so I'm going to read you a quote by um, an expert. And it's innocent. It's, quote, innocent suspects confess because they're terrified and confused and exhausted because they are deceived or tricked because they don't understand what they are doing because they feel hopeless, helpless and isolated. 
And that's um, from Gosey and Posley in 2016, a study on false confessions. And that's what they did. They made him feel like it was helpless. Right. And the only way he was going to get out of that room was to confess. Kevin Fox told ABC 2020 that he felt hopeless. And he felt like if he didn't confess, they were going to keep him in that interrogation room until he did. Well, I'm sorry. Like, and I, granted, I've never been in this situation at all. You know, you could keep me in that confession room for fucking three days straight. And like, no, I'm not conf- like, I will never confess. Like, just like freaking Aunt May said to freaking Peter Parker when he got arrested. You plead the fifth. You keep your mouth shut. Yeah, I don't know. I understand how it can happen. I'm glad that the forensics in this case proved that it wasn't. Yeah, the one. Why would you tell the FBI not to stop running it unless you had a pretty good feeling you had the wrong guy? Well, that's the the main reason they did. I'm sure the prosecutor that was up for re-election is like, well, we need this win, guys, or else I'm not going to be here anymore. Because wouldn't you think that if you really thought he was the guilty person, you would want that DNA to strengthen your case? Right. I don't know. Whatever. Kevin and Melissa Fox filed a federal lawsuit against Will County. Kevin and Melissa explained that they both received harsh judgment and ridicule in their community. Frequently, both of them were called baby killers, even after Kevin was exonerated with DNA evidence. There were still people in the community that thought they killed Riley or that Kevin killed Riley and that she was complacent, like not caring. Kathleen Zellner, Fox's attorney, alleged that police focused on Kevin Fox and ignored evidence that may have linked the actual killer, including the shoes, reports of the red Beretta, and the burglary across the street. They won their lawsuit, and they were awarded $8.5 million. Good. Like, that's just... Whenever we get to the end of the story, we'll go through a a recap of everything, and I'll say my piece then. (laughs) Kevin Fox now exonerated, and so the investigation into Riley's abduction, assault, and murder was reopened. Well, and that pisses me off, too. Like, the whole time, you guys most likely knew you had the wrong person, and you that just gave more time, like, a bigger time gap from June to September now, like... There you go. That's more time for shit to just kind of disappear. Well, and I think it was even longer than that, that well, he I'm, sat in prison awaiting trial. Yeah. And it, I, it, it just boggles my mind that there was this kind of gross miscompetence. Agreed. Finally, five years later, the FBI took over the case. Five years later, the FBI investigators received a tip from an anonymous woman. She said she was dating a man who was out of prison on parole and living in Wilmington in June of 2004 when the crime occurred. She said that her boyfriend acted strangely about the murder and it made her feel really uneasy. She said he was now in prison again after raping his sister. Dun, 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 dun. The man was identified as Scott E-B. Guess how E-B spelled? E-B-Y. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, you mean that the shoe that you guys collected was actual hard evidence and not just... Had the perpetrator's fucking name written in it. And he didn't even follow up with it. No. And he was on parole, so they could have just done a search for E-B and saw that he had a history of being in prison for sexual crimes and was living in the area. If they just research E-B-Y. Scott Eby was born July 22nd, 1971. He had a troubled childhood that was riddled with abuse. A woman who knew Scott as a child said he often had welts and bruises on his back and buttocks. He got in trouble a lot as a kid for stealing. He stole things from home. He stole things from school. By the time he was 17, Scott Eby was sent to prison. His first conviction was for forgery in 1988. He was then sent to prison in 1992 for burglary, and he returned to prison again in 2000 for burglary. So I digress. Maybe he his history was not sex crime. Yeah, it sounds like his was just like theft. But still, 
He was on parole. Right. I mean, come on. Scott spent the majority of his adult life in prison. In the brief periods between incarcerations, he did get married. Her family stated that Scott abused her physically, and eventually she divorced him. And I'm going to read a quote from Evie's former sister-in-law. She said, quote, I heard her screaming one night all the way down the road. She was trying to climb in the window, and he was hitting her and pulling her hair and stuff, end quote. So he had a history of domestic violence. Scott was out, of, out on parole in 2004 and was living with his mother in Wilmington, Illinois. He lived approximately one mile from Riley Fox. God, like the evidence like just clearly starts adding up. Yep. In 2005, Scott was convicted of raping his sister while her husband slept in the next room. His sister. A sick fuck. Yeah. He was in prison in Lawrence County, Illinois in 2009. The FBI learned Scott Eby had tried to commit suicide many times, including the day of Riley's disappearance, and police responded to his house after a call about someone trying to commit suicide and talked to Scott Eby the day. So... Let me get this straight. At this time, they have the shoes. Yep. With EBY. EB, yep. Britain in them. Yep. That same fucking day, a couple hours later, a few hours later, half a day later, they get a call for an EBY trying to commit suicide. And you motherfuckers couldn't put two and two, you couldn't put one to one. To, oh, my God. Yeah, are you fucking kidding me? No. Are you fucking kidding me? This is why we had to cover this story. Like, how fucking dumb do you have to... Like, there's more than incompetence at this point. Like, this is just some straight up fucking, like, do-do-do kind of shit. I think that they were determined that it absolutely had to be Kevin Fox, and they didn't look any further. I like I would agree with you on that, but they had a fucking shoe that had EB written in the goddamn thing right next to the murder scene of this little girl. Mm-hmm. And like a mo- like a huh? Anybody would have fucking been like, hmm. It wouldn't have taken a rocket scientist to be like, oh, we had a suicide call for someone with those initials. Not even initials. Last name. Last name. Like, like, yeah, it's not even initials. It's last fucking name. So, huh, I wonder if that's connected. Because you, do you think someone might try to commit suicide like, after I, they rape and murder a three-year-old? Well, and here's the thing. Like, I okay, would hope they would. I can give uh, maybe a little smidge of hope to this situation that maybe it was different officers responding to each incident. So you Wilmington's know? a small town. I'm sure they talk. Well, and that's what I'm... That's why I'm giving it a shred of hope that maybe it was like different officers that responded to each incident. But still, once you real like in a small town, when someone tries to commit suicide and it comes into the police blotter and you just had a murder and like, how did they not put two and two together? Right. It's ridiculous. Or Like, how did it not be like, hey, maybe maybe we need to talk to this guy. Yeah. It's it's insane. I when I found that out, I was like, "You've got to be, oh my god, like you've got to be kidding me!" Like I'm really pissed off right now, and I'm trying to just keep my voice composed and everything. But this is like some straight up dumbass shit. Yes. So the FBI decides they're going to go talk to Scott Eb in prison. So that's another thing. Not to go backwards, but none of this even got connected, even after they knew that. Kevin Fox was innocent until the FBI got involved. Because there's, I'm, I'm going to talk about it in okay. here after we get done with everything. Okay. So they go down to the prison in Lawrence County and they talk to Scott Eby. He adamantly denies that he had anything to do with it. So finally they leave. And just right after that, Scott Eby makes a phone call to his mother. Well, when you're in prison... All phone calls are recorded. He told his mother that she needed to come see him one last time and that he had, quote, done something really, really bad, end quote. 
I'm surprised that they didn't get a DNA swab at that point. I don't know if they had enough evidence yet. But anyway, he later confessed to his mother. He said, you know that little girl? I'm responsible for that. So on the phone, he confesses to the murder of Riley Fox. He wrote a suicide note in which he confessed to the murder. And he attempted to commit suicide inside of his cell by hanging himself. He was not successful. Scott survived, and he then gave a videotaped confession to the FBI agents. Scott told the FBI that he was under the influence of cocaine and alcohol, and he decided he wanted to go burglarize some houses as he had a history of doing. He entered the home across the street from the Fox home, so he was responsible for that burglary that was not connected. Not connected. According to the police. He told the FBI he was driving a red Beretta that night. Like, but it's, but they, that's not connected either, right? They had all of this stuff the day of the crime. Like, it just, it's insane. He said that he then went to the Fox home. And when he went to the back door, he realized it wasn't locked. So he didn't have to break the entering. He just went right on in. He said he went in. What? Break the entering. Whatever. He went in. He looked around, tried to find something to steal. But I mean, this is a young family with two little kids. And he really didn't find anything that interested him, I guess. So then he goes in the living room and he sees Riley and Tyler lying on the couch. He decided right then and there that he was going to abduct Riley. He said, quote, I fixated on that little girl, end quote. He backed his vehicle up to the back of the Fox's home and re-entered the house, abducting Riley Fox. He said he put his hand over her mouth and then put her in his car. He drove out to Forsyth Woods and raped Riley in a bathroom. The bathrooms were never processed. Just have to take a breath on that one. Yeah. He said that he then, um, as he was assaulting her, his bandana slid off his face and Riley saw him. She's three years old, dude. I mean, it's going to be hard for her to, like, make an ID. Right. He said he panicked and decided right then he would have to kill her. He bound her, duct taped her mouth, and threw her in the creek to die. Riley drowned in that creek. And adding even more disgusting detail, Scott shared that in her last moments, Riley cried out for her daddy through the attack. (sighs) Now the tears are there. The father who was accused of this heinous crime and accused to be a monster was the only person that little baby wanted. The Will County detectives... They missed so much. They fucked this case up so fucking bad. The shoes found in the creek had Eby's name written inside. They matched shoe prints on the bank. Scott Eby's last name in the fucking shoe. He admitted they were his shoes. He said he took them off and threw them in the creek because he didn't want to be connected to the footprints. He thought they'd float down the creek further. They got stuck in some brush. The red Beretta and the burglaries that were reported the same day uh, were brushed off. Well, they can't be connected. They absolutely were connected. Scott attempted to kill himself the same day. Police responded to the home. Apparently, when they responded to the home, he asked the police if they had found that little girl yet. If they had even ran his name through the system, they would have known his criminal history and should have investigated him. Will County police were so focused on Kevin that they ignored everything and they had everything right there the day of the murder. Scott pleaded guilty to five counts of first degree murder, one count of predatory criminal sexual assault of a child. On November 10th, 2010. There's the piece of shit right there. He was sentenced to life in prison with absolutely zero possibility of parole. A condition of his plea 
E.B. forfeited his right to ever appeal his sentence, and he will spend the rest of his life in prison. Kevin and Melissa, they went on to have another child together, but as happens frequently when you lose a child, their marriage could not withstand. They're both remarried with more children and remain friendly and close with each other, although they're divorced. Riley would now be 21 years old, and the 18th anniversary of her death is just a few days after this episode airs. She had so much life ahead of her, and this piece of shit monster stole that from her, stole that from her parents, stole that from her siblings. This story really is every parent's worst nightmare. I can't talk. It's terrible. Like. I I just, how did they mess this up so bad? So, I've composed myself a little bit. Not a lot. I'm probably going to start breaking down with this, but let's get to Chris's reaction with this. Scott E.B. is a piece of shit. I'm surprised we, no one's killed him yet. I, let me let me talk. You had you had your conversation. Let me have mine with with the with the guests. Okay. Okay. You ruined so many fucking lives with that. With just one ill-gotten night, you devastated so many people. In so many different ways. If it wasn't for you though. We wouldn't know how incompetent. Will County. Yeah. Will County. And all of their glory would be. Now as far as Will County goes. And the piece of shits. With that. <sighs> Why did they fuck this up so bad? I can. T- I think I got a good reason why. Like you said, it was an election year. Not just any election year, but you know, you know, it, it was a heated race, mm-hmm. and they needed a win. Not just any win, though. Big win. Kind of win that gets the papers talking. It gets the papers standing out. It gets the papers praising your name that you took a freaking murderer and baby killer and just sensationalize the story possibly national headlines that you did this that's your reason why that's your reason why that they looked at Riley's dad because what makes a better story a career criminal that does B&E turns pedophile turns child uh, turns child murderer that's not a story. Shit, that's there's hundreds and thousands of stories like that already. A father loses his shit, does unthinkable things to his daughter, and then it throws her into the river, and then has his family back him up still. That's a story that makes papers. I can understand him being a suspect, but they, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it went beyond that. That's what makes the story. This is a. This is what pisses me off. We no longer value like politicians or attorneys or any like. And yes, I'm getting a little freaking Illuminati kind of shit right now. We never we don't value intelligence anymore. We don't value character. We don't value things like that anymore. We value the, what have you done for me lately? What have you done to make my life better? Why should I vote for you? What have you done? Not, what are your plans? And I'm sorry, guys. I know I'm just, this is not, this is not the normal Chris that you're getting tonight, today whatever 
Like we're recording this at 11.30 at night. But that's why, like, that's the reason why they went after him. I will say that I'm glad James Glasgow won that race because the same summer that Riley was killed, so was Kathleen Savio. And they ruled that shit an accident and let Drew Peterson walk long enough to most likely kill another wife. So obviously they got some shit going on in Will County. Right. And James Glasgow seems like he came in and, and... you know, probably did clean up. I know there's a lot of like mixed feelings so, about that, but he got Christopher Vaughn convicted. He got Drew Peterson convicted and he ordered that the lab work on Riley's case actually be tested and then drop the charges. So the evidence I thought, showed. I thought Mr. Fox's attorney was the one that ordered. The lab She's the one that found out that it had never been tested. And so she brought that to the state's attorney who he was newly elected. He wasn't responsible okay. when it was sent. And, okay. you know, he's like, that's just not appropriate. Well, like we have to run the tests. Right. You know, at least he had enough mind to say this, this is stupid. We need to drop these charges. Like, because there's been stupider state's attorneys that have went after people, even when they have evidence that it couldn't have been them. There's like, other fourth like there's so many things i'm glad that they sued the shit out of that county yep and won i think there should be laws like i'm pretty sure that there are there has to be some kind of law that all police interrogations has to be recorded i think that came after like because this was 2004 so i think that is a law in illinois now but i don't think it was then um But, I mean, I digress. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. I'm not looking at them. There's nothing terrible. Um, This is Kevin Fox when they arrested him. This is the piece of crap, Scott Eby. And that is baby girl Riley. You know, I can't imagine not only do you lose your baby, but then you get falsely accused of doing that. Right. And like the thing that pisses me off the most is that Riley's brother, what's his name? Tyler. Tyler. Now has to one. Like I blame Scott Eby for this all day, every day, 100%. Like you're a piece of shit. You're going to hell. And once again, if there's anything is like if there's any hope for prison justice, this is a case where prison justice like he needs to meet his maker really quickly. Right. But now that boy not only doesn't have a sister anymore, now has to live in a broken home. Because guess what? There we don't know what the fox's mental state was. If this would have if they would eventually have divorced later down the line. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, ooh, that was loud. But you forced that hand. Right. I mean, there are certain things that put so much strain on a marriage that it makes it very difficult. And one of those is losing a child and having a sick child with a chronic illness. Yeah. Those are kind of things that statistically cause a higher rate of divorce yeah and i understand you know and i i completely get it like i i get why they couldn't stay together but i mean they did for a while they did go on and have another child but you know it just it just didn't work i and the reason it didn't work is because scott evie is a piece of shit and decided that he wanted to not take anything from the house decided to take a three-year-old little girl sleeping on her couch in the comfort of her own home next to her brother and now i'm I'm sure that brother is i'm sure he's had the thought of why not me well and i'm sure kevin fox too i mean even though it was not his fault as a parent 
like you feel like you failed your kid because you failed to protect them. It's not his fault what Scott Evie did. No, not but at I'm all. I'm sure that it caused a lot of mental shit with him. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I guarantee there was some like mental shit. There probably still is mental shit with him. Right. Fuck, I wouldn't be able to get over that. No, it'd be like, you know, why did, you know, maybe I should have stayed out there. Maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that. At the end of the day, it's not his fault, but we blame ourselves as parents for everything. But there's just so many things that Scott Eby has done. Well, it's a good thing that his suicide attempts were not successful or we may have never gotten to the bottom of this. You could have had DNA evidence after the fact. I don't know if they would have found him, though. Like, if they would have been able to connect the whole story. But whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm glad he had to pay for the crime regardless. I'm glad that he didn't take the cowards. Well, he tried to take the cowards way out because he's a coward, but he was not successful. It doesn't matter. You know, if he takes his life or he dies of old age, like. Oh, guess what? I don't know if I mentioned it or not. What? Not only did he confess, confess, but the DNA was a match. I kind of figured that. Yeah, I just don't think I specifically mentioned it. But there are special places in hell for people like that. And I am a firm believer that once you die, you will meet your maker. And there ain't no getting away from that at all. No. And guys, we're going to try not to bum you out again for a while. I know this was a rough story. I knew this going in. We talk about murder. I know that, but... It's one thing to talk about murder. It's another thing to talk about a three-year-old murder. Um, So, I mean, if you were one of the ones that kind of fast-forwarded through certain parts or all parts or whatever, you know, I I understand completely. The reason I wanted to cover this story is because it highlights how false confessions happen and how investigations can get so messed up. You know, and I used to be one of these people that's like, why would you confess if you didn't do it? Well, that's why. Because you're broken down mentally, psychologically, physically, spiritually, to the point where you don't feel like you have any other choice. And just to highlight incompetence, again, you know, we've done that a couple times on this show. We are very pro-police and stuff in this house, but, like, if there's incompetence, like, on this grand of a fucking scale, it's I'm I'm more than welcome to call it out. I wonder if the um, crime scene investigator that you know didn't connect the dots with Scott Eby is the same one that ruled Kathleen Savio's an accident and then got pissed when they didn't believe him that Chris Vaughn is innocent. It's, prob- it's probably all the same stupid fuckface that doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Anyway, that's our story. <laughs> yes. So if you do want to read the blog post or see pictures of beautiful Riley, um, head over to www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. Make sure you like and follow us on Facebook. If you would like to be a Patreon supporter, you can do so through our webpage. Until then, we will see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye.